0: Several retired federal employees feel they are being unfairly denied benefits due to the Social Security provisions known as the windfall elimination provision and the government pension offset. We know that now, thanks to a recent survey conducted by Virginia Representative Abigail Spamberger's office. She plans to utilize the results of the survey to push through legislation that would get rid of the WEP and GPO. To find out how, I got the chance to speak with the congresswoman last week.
1: So the... Uh... Government pension offset and the windfall elimination provisions are two unfair provisions that negatively impact retirees who have spent their professional lives devoted to service, either as federal employees or as public servants across the country. Particularly impacted are police officers, teachers, firefighters. And really, there is a problem within current law, which is what we seek to change, that impacts negatively the Social Security payments that retirees receive. The windfall elimination provision and the government pension offset provision, these are two provisions that basically reduce substantially the amount of Social Security that retirees receive based on the, the pensions that they might have earned through their service, uh, again, as public servants. And what our legislation would do would just eliminate what is, in fact, uh, I think a problem in the law that allows for these retirees to not receive the full amount of the social security that they have paid into the system and that they have earned. And so our legislation is pretty straightforward. It removes both of these provisions that so negatively and disproportionately impact uh, public servant retirees uh, and allows them to collect the social security that they've earned through their working careers.
0: Before we get into your legislation, and you're referencing the Social Security Fairness Act that you reintroduced uh, early in January, how did we get to this point? And, you know, was it just sort of an oversight? Or was were there good intentions when the when both provisions were put in? Or what happened there?
1: So uh, the reality is, is that I think at one point in time, it probably made sense to somebody somewhere that if you're a retiree retiring with a pension, that your retirement plan and and some lawmakers somewhere felt comfortable having that impact the social security payments that that individuals are receiving but you know for so many teachers or police officers who spend their career serving our communities and and then might work elsewhere after retiring certainly so many police officers who retire relatively young continue on with a second career and they pay into social security uh, and they should be able to receive the the full funds for which they are eligible that they paid into the system. So presumably at some point in time, it made sense to some lawmaker. It certainly has never made sense to me. But this is an issue that I've been focused on since I first, frankly, started campaigning. It's something that was brought to me by constituents in the 7th District. We are a district with many, many federal retirees who are impacted by this, by these two unfair provisions, um, and, as well as retired police officers. Uh, notably, the Capitol police officers are impacted by this, and you know, in their personal capacity, have done tremendous advocacy, making sure that lawmakers understand that you know the, the the folks protecting them every day are negatively impacted by this by this law. And so, it's a straightforward change: it's elimination of these two unfair provisions, and it's just making sure that the people who paid into Social Security for work that they did, money that's supposed to be there in their retirement, is. Uh, and it's also ensuring that. Uh, a widow or a widower on losing a spouse who's been a, a federal employee or a public servant, uh, impacted by these provisions, you know, d- doesn't see the, the support meant to help them in their retirement as a surviving spouse, that it is also not negatively impacted. Because the stories are really tragic. The people have committed themselves to a, to a life of, of serving their community and serving their country. And ultimately, you know, nobody's asking for any special treatment. Literally, it's just the, dollars that they paid into Social Security, but had they chosen a different career path would be there and available to them.
0: And speaking of those stories, in an effort to showcase them, your office recently launched a survey asking for respondents from inside and outside of your district. And I'm just curious on how that idea came about and what you heard from the folks who these provisions do affect.
1: So we fairly frequently on a whole, soliciting not only the opinions of constituents, but the stories of constituents. And the response that we received related to the government pension offset, related to the windfall elimination provision, and the impact that those provisions have had on constituents, the the response was overwhelming. Thousands of respondents responding to my office, telling their stories of how they've been impacted, what these unfair provisions have meant for them, and why they support the Social Security Fairness Act, which is the legislation that... That I am leading with Gary Graves. We are up to about 5,000 respondents so far, which is, again, we do surveys very frequently, uh, and the number of responses we've had are absolutely astounding compared to to past efforts to solicit information,
0: feedback, side stories. And a little bit of history on this bill itself, and you're reintroducing it this time around, and you have a lot of co-sponsors signing on, what is, you know, necessarily, and I know that a lot of things go into uh, what gets passed and what doesn't, but what has sort of been the holdup, I guess, uh, if there is that much support for it within Congress, not only that and by, you know, the people that it affects?
1: Right now we're at 223 co-sponsors. Um, you know, when, when everybody's there and voting, we need 218 to pass a piece of legislation. So we are already at the place where we know that, legislation would pass on the house floor if and when it's brought to a vote last congress we got to more than 290 co-sponsors which is an important threshold because at 290 co-sponsors we can actually force bills to the floor force bills through committee um, unfortunately we reached that point a little bit late got pushed forth through committee but we were unable to get a floor vote i i was very, very critical of efforts last Congress and certainly what I, I perceived uh, and assessed to be an, an unwillingness uh, with, within leadership to bring this incredibly important bill forward. Um, and so I continue to work with my uh, Republican co-league, Garrett Graves of Louisiana, to ensure that we aggressively get this bill to 290 earlier so that leadership within the House, the Speaker of the House, has no, has no alternative action other than to bring this for a vote. And so we work, we're working currently to build out our uh, co-sponsors, get it. You know, we're already at passage level with 223 currently, you know, and we're only a couple months into the new Congress. And certainly there's so many new members, so Garrett and I have been doing a lot of work making sure that new members who were just elected understand this issue, know how it might impact their constituents, and, uh, and sign on to the legislation. So we're pushing aggressively for it to come forward it is legislation that impacts so many communities, and uh, frankly, speaking when people find out about it, and it's very clear sense how these provisions just fairly impact retirees. People are people are supportive when
0: they learn about it. Yeah, did you utilize these responses from the survey uh, in order to maybe convince some people who may, may have not been against it, but just didn't know about it, and to your other colleagues that are on the Hill?
1: We are starting to do that you know, certainly uh, since I was first running for Congress. Um, and, and so some of those stories I have, I have brought forward. Now I have many, many more. You know, and, and I noticed that some Capitol Police officers in their personal capacity have been doing some lobbying on Capitol to make sure that members of Congress are aware of this issue and how it impacts them and others like them. But we also have quite a few retired Capitol Police officers among those who answered the survey kind of really, I think that's an impactful element because, you know, just as the Capitol Police officers are impacted by this, so too are so many federal retirees, uh, retired teachers throughout you know, the country, retired firefighters, retired police officers. And so the, the challenge is just making sure that members of Congress are aware and that this is a pretty straightforward fix and that it's it's really, truly just an issue of fairness.
0: Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger. You can find this interview on our website at federalnewsnetwork.com. Subscribe to The Federal Drive wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of Wepa. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Dr. David Wilson, president of Morgan State University. David has had a fascinating career and has garnered a long record of accomplishments from more than 30 years of experience in higher education administration. Came to Morgan State in 2010 from the University of Wisconsin, where he was chancellor of both the University of Wisconsin Colleges and the University of Wisconsin Extension. Before that, he held numerous other administrative posts in academia, including vice president for the University of Outreach, associate provost at Auburn University, and um, associate provost of Rutgers. And when we were talking earlier, too, you had just mentioned that you had a— uh, a wonderful nomination at the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. And, David, thank you so much for joining me.
3: Shane, it is indeed a pleasure uh, to be invited into this conversation with you.
2: It's not in your um, in the short bio here, but I also know you served in some capacity in the Obama administration.
3: Amazing.
2: You've had a fascinating career at numerous universities across the U.S. How did you become passionate about the education field? And what are some of the
3: biggest lessons that you've learned? First of all, I was made aware of a quote by Horace Mann, who was great 19th century Based on how many students they don't admit. I'm about just the opposite taking individuals who are absolutely stellar and don't realize it and bringing that into existence for
2: them. You've had so many opportunities that you could do other things perhaps at um, larger organizations, but.
3: did as well. So here I am, having grown up in Alabama, I harbored some anger toward the society there that kept me from realizing my potential and then kept so many others like me from ever realizing their potential. At the end of a conversation that we had, someone asked Mr. Susulu, we're leaving this conversation thinking that you harbor no anger towards a society that locked you away for 27 years. Are we leaving with the correct conclusion?